0: I, I enjoy it because there's a few people that haven't been here, so I want to say something. The reason why I'm going through Mark is because I myself, I wanted. I've been a Christian a long time. I got saved at 16, and I'm a little bit older than that. And um, I've I I got to a point where I wanted to discover Jesus even more, just like the first time. Because when I first became a Christian, I had this dream and vision that I was going to win the entire school to the Lord. That I was going to go into the cafeteria jump on a table and preach. Now, that never happened because I was very shy. And the Lord said, well, speak to that individual right in front of you. And I'm like, but I'm scared. And then he called me in a ministry, and I'm like, are you serious, Lord? But the Lord said, why not just read, you know, your favorite gospel? And I said, I love Mark. And I hope, I hope to to the Lord that you would get something from the book of Mark throughout this series, if not more than one thing. But if I, if, I believe if you get one thing from this series, then then uh, that's one thing that we didn't know about the Lord. And sometimes, a lot of times, the Lord will surprise you by going, or as you're reading the scripture, if you read it with the right heart. I've had it times over the last 20 some odd years that I go to the Bible going, I don't really want to read this. And I, and I go, I didn't really get anything out of it. But the times I go, Lord, I want to read this like I'm reading it for the very first time. I'll read it and I'll go, I did not know. It's like we were talking about the other day about the book of Romans that the women are going through. Didn't you say? Or am I having a weird conversation in my head without you? But that you said, I never knew that was in that the in, in book of Romans. We, we studied that and uh, it was when the first week, whatever, but... You, you, Maybe not. Maybe having conversations in my head—that would be scary. But um, but it's just—it's true. You can read something that you've read, you think you read a million times, and you—the Lord's going to reveal something to you, brand new. And that's what I'm hoping today. And so, what I want to do to set us up to our passage—I hope you're ready to jump in the Bible. Anybody not ready to jump in the Bible? I tricked you there. No, I hope you are. I'm going to read a few passages before we get there. Psalm 85. Because there's two scriptures that are going to prepare your heart to go into Mark chapter 10. So Psalm 85, if you have a different translation than New Living Translation, I apologize. It will, you can read it in your translation and mark some things that stand out. But let me read it in its entirety. It says, Lord, you poured out blessings on your land. He's talking about the past. You restored the fortunes of Israel. You forgave the guilt of your people. Yes, you covered all their sins. You held back your fury. You kept back your blazing anger. He's talking about an event that happened in the past. Now, everybody say now. Now, today, yet again, Lord, do it again. Restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put aside your anger against us once more. Will you be angry with us always? Will you prolong your wrath To all generations, won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? Pause for just a moment. Isn't it very true that when you feel spiritually dead, it's very difficult to rejoice or have joy if there's stuff that you're holding back from God? Because if you give everything to God, he's going to allow you to have that joy that's within you, and you can rejoice. He says, Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I can listen, I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. But let them, here's the key, let them not return to their foolish ways. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. So our land, so our land, our country, our people can actually be filled with his. Glory wouldn't it be amazing to say that our city, our country, our world would be filled with the glory of God. I think it would be amazing to say to someone if we could look back at history at some point, if if we have 20 years to go, if the Lord doesn't come back in 20 years and we can look back at this moment, we could say that was the moment where we could Truly say the glory of the Lord was poured out from the people of God to this world, to this nation, to this community, to this church. It's 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 probable, but we have to say, Lord, do it again. I'm not going to go back to my foolish ways. That's the key. Not just forgive me, Lord, and then go back to my stupid stuff that I do. Then it goes on. Unfailing love and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. I like that. Truth springs up from the earth and righteousness smiles down from heaven. Yes, the Lord pours down his blessings. Our land will yield its bountiful harvest. Righteousness goes as a herald before him, preparing the way for his steps. I love that. You know why I love that? Well, the words of it is great. There are certain words that I underline that I just said I've got. It's what I do in my Bible. I underline it. So that's why I underline stuff on the on the slide here. But this was written during a time... Of moral decay in their nation, they could look back at a time when they said we were great, everything was great. They they had revival, people were, I'll use my language, people were on fire for God. They were like they were they were just like just red hot for God. They were doing things to the Lord, and then but today we are in. He would say we are in moral decline. We're in moral decay, And, and and this is. I don't want to offend anyone. I love the United States of America, but we are in a state of moral decay right now because sin is celebrated while righteousness and being a godly individual and doing the right thing is mocked. I remember a long time ago, we were doing an event at the school, middle school, and some girl, she knew I was a youth pastor at the time, and she she asked me about certain things about my moral. She talked about purity. We'll just throw it out. And I was being honest about my past with purity and what God has done and blah, blah, blah. And she mocked me for it. She made fun of me for it. I'm like, that is the, that was the first moment in my life where I felt mocked for doing the right thing, okay? Now, this right here is showing us that there's a people that they need to stand up for God and say, we refuse to go back to our old foolish ways. We're going to ask God to do it again and he's going to bring revival to his land. That is what it's about. To strip away all the stuff that hinders us, we're not going to hold anything back. Remember that that language for just a moment. We're not going to hold anything back. We're going to give everything over to God. It's God's. Now, another passage I read this week, I love Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, because me and Lydia went on a walk yesterday, and um, this is a verse that came up in our conversation. It was a great conversation because i'm thinking what is the 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 question that i was asked a long time ago what's what's the meaning of life what is the purpose if i could take like the song said about the the heart of worship that when you strip away everything else what is left it's the, it's it's my heart for jesus but what is when you strip away everything that i'm about I'm a Pepsi guy, I'm a pastor, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a blah, 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 whatever, I'm a human, strip all that away, what is my life about? Ephesians 3.19 tells us, Paul, he says, to know, and everybody say no, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, the love of God, that's the first thing, what are you about? I'm going to know, to know this love, it's an intimate knowledge it's not just a knowing about; it's an experiential knowing. Okay, it's living it out. And then the second thing that you may be filled. Everybody say filled. that yeah, you'd be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So there's two things right now. If you're taking notes, if you have a good memory, don't even write it down. But if you're like me, you need to write it down. I already have mine written down on my notes. But that. Number one, that you know the love of God on an intimate level. And number two, that you'd be filled with the fullness of God. That's what it's about. That's what the psalmist is saying. He's going, we are empty. And instead of filling our lives with stupid stuff that will not last, we're going to empty ourselves of all that junk and we're going to fill ourselves with the fullness of God. That means that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and it's a constant filling because I cannot remember which pastor, he's a very famous pastor, but he said, he goes, it's not God's, it's not God's fault that he has to keep filling me. It's my fault because I leak. Okay. I'm like, I'm like a foam cup or a paper cup that gets soggy on the bottom and it just drips down the bottom. And after a while, you're not going to have any Gatorade in there anymore. You're going to need to fill that up. And that's what God is saying. Fullness of God. I want you to remember that phrase for the rest of your life. To be filled with the fullness of God. So that's your goal. That's your life. It's to know the love of God and to be filled. Fill with what? Fill with all these experiences that the world has to offer. Fill it with all these relationships that we try to go after. There's nothing evil about possessions or, or relationships, but we miss the point because we go after things to try to fulfill ourselves. And the reality is. We don't fill ourselves with the fullness of God. We just want to get barely by. I hope it's not you. When I say we, I'm not mentioning, I'm not, I mean, I mean humanity, Christians. We just want enough to get by. If I can hang on for dear life and I'm barely hanging, I barely have a grip on my relationship with God, but if I can get to heaven barely, isn't that good enough? God wants more of uh uh He wants more for you than that. So let's go to the scripture right now because knowing the love of God. Being full of God, God bringing revival to our land, God bringing revival to our church, this town, our country, it leads us to Mark chapter 10 in a roundabout way. You'll see. Because it's whatever it's about, what is life about? You fill yourself with something. What are you filling yourself with? Mark 10. As Jesus was starting his way out from Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. He knelt down and he asked, good teacher, Let's just yell that. Ready? Good teacher. Ready? Good teacher. Is Jesus a good teacher? Yeah, he is. Of course. It's not. It's that trick question. He was a good teacher. He is well known. Even if you don't. Even if people don't. We're recording this for YouTube later on. Some people they will listen to a sermon and they don't even believe in the stuff, but they believe that Jesus existed historically and that he was a teacher. He taught doctrine and and it's good. It's like good doctrine. But this guy, he says, good teacher. And here's a good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. That's a very confusing thing for people to read. Because a lot of, I've had people talk, say, see, Jesus is claiming not to be God right in that one spot. He's claiming not to be God. He's saying, why do you call me good? God, God is good. No, he's really saying, do you know what you're saying right now? Do you know, when you call me good, do you know what you're, do you know what you're calling, you're calling me God. Because you can look at the rest of the gospels, and he definitely claims to be God in multiple ways. That's what, that's why they killed him. Okay, why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments, you know your Bible. You know the law of Moses. You must not murder. That's a good thing, right? Ding, 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 right? You you must not commit adultery. Okay, that's good. You must not steal. Okay, that's good. You must not testify falsely. Don't lie. Tell the truth. Yes, okay. You must not cheat anyone, okay? Honor your father and mother, okay? I got you. And he goes, teacher. Everybody say teacher. He's kind of going backwards now. Notice he goes from good teacher to just teacher. Okay, he's still wrong in a sense. He's incomplete. Teacher, this man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. You know, I have a hard time believing that. I think he's lying right here. Because who is perfect? He's saying he's perfect. Okay? And looking at the man, I love this verse. Jesus felt genuine love for him. Because what he's about to ask this man to do, it would be easy to say he doesn't love me. How many of us, when we were younger, when we said we were going to give our lives to Christ, we thought he would just ruin all the fun, right? Like, all of a sudden, I can't party anymore. All of a sudden, I can't wake up wasted anymore. I mean, I can't wake up in my own drool and my own vomit. I can't have fun anymore, right? At least that's what some of us did, right? We, Some of us, we we thought, God, if I say yes to Jesus, the reason why I'm holding back, God, is because you're this joy kill in heaven. You're just a joy kill, Like, I want to be full of happiness, and I want to be about myself. You just want to destroy me. And what he's asking about, just in a second, it seems like Jesus is being a buzzkill because he is asking something that is too hard for any one of us to do. In fact, he says something to this man that none of us have done. Okay? But there's a reason why. He says, looking at the man, why does he say it? Jesus felt what? Genuine love for him. He's, he loves him so much not to ignore what he's, what he's missing something. He goes, there is still one thing you haven't done. And another translation says, there's one thing you lack. He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then you come follow me. How many of us have ever read this before in some gospel? It's very common in the gospels. And, okay, how many of us have ever felt a little guilty when you read it? Okay, nobody wants to raise your hand. Then you're not being honest. How many of us have ever given everything away to people and you follow Jesus and you have nothing left? You don't have your house left. How many of us have a house or an apartment or something? Okay, then we're being sinful. I'm kidding. No, we're not. No, but the reality is we look at this and go, ouch, this guy, he has to give everything away and then he can come follow him? There's a reason why. He goes like this and it goes on. <laughs> I would be the same way here. At the at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad. How many of us would be like that? Oh, man. The only thing that you told Dwayne to do is get rid of a record, you know? I mean, he had to get rid of that sinful record and burn it in this big... When they did that, you know? And when I was a kid, it was get rid of your CDs and stuff and your tapes. And all he had to do was get rid of a record. I'm having to give away my entire house. Thanks, God, right? And he went away very sad. Why? For he had many possessions i want to say it very clearly his possessions possessed him who possessed who the possessions possessed him he wasn't filled with god's holy spirit in my opinion because his possessions owned him that's why i mean i don't think that this is a command for everyone unless like i could be wrong like each one of us when we go to our house the moment you step foot in the house you ought to feel you know jesus told us to get no He's telling this man because he's very rich. He has many possessions, and he—the guy's like, "Oh, I can't follow you, follow you until I give away everything." Jesus is saying, "I've got so much more for you than just the stuff that you're collecting." Okay. And the problem with this passage of scripture—many many people read it and they go, "It's too hard." Because look at what he says. Jesus looked around after the man left. He was sad. I think he was crying. Didn't want to see. He went away looking sad. He had many possessions. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, is it just me or does that seem kind of weird? Jesus saying how hard it is. But again, there's been many times in the book of Mark and the rest of the gospels where Jesus is talking about counting the cost. Because When you receive Christ, He gives you everything. I'm telling you. You'll see in just a moment. Like, He's not just saying, give away everything and then you just suffer. That's not what He's talking about. What He's saying is that you're giving away this, you're, you're, you're holding on to stuff. For Him, it was His possessions. For Him, it was His status. If you give away this, I've got way more better things for you than you could ever possibly dream of. And we hold on to it thinking we have better, whatever it is. We'll, we'll talk about it. But he says, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? Here's a verse that we've always heard. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, impossible. Why is that? Because it's humanly impossible. We can't save ourselves. The disciples were astounded. By the way, I love the fact that they had this conversation right here. I love it. It answers so many questions of mine okay, then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. Not with God. Everything is possible with God. In other words, stop looking for salvation in yourself. Stop trying so hard. If you're holding on to stuff, the reason why you're holding on to stuff is often you're like, this is, I love this stuff. But God, he begins this work inside of you. He It's all about the heart, and if you want to change if you want it's not about giving away everything it's about God change me change my heart everything's possible with God then Peter of course we've said this many times in the series who's the old, who's the who's the voice of the 12 disciples Peter always Peter replied we've given up everything to follow you lord he said yes Jesus replied and i assure you that everyone who has given up this is huge, this is very strange Everyone that has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the gospel, the good news, they will receive now. Everybody say now. So you're not just, this is, this is why I like reading through the Bible. I'm letting the Bible speak for itself. Like we think, well, I guess I'll give everything to the Lord and I just have to wait until heaven to really experience the joy of the Lord. Listen, he wants to give you the joy of the Lord right now. Contentment. He wants to teach you peace. He wants to say, anything that I used to hold on to, it might not be possessions for some of us. It might not be your house. It might not be your car. It might be something else. But when we let go of those things and we discover who Jesus really is, we're going to actually have, look at this, it says we receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. Oh, and by the way, along with persecution. I wish that wasn't there. Now that's, I have another slide here, but that bottom part's weird. If you, like Peter and all the rest of them, they gave up, some of them gave up their job, like like the tax collector. Matthew gave up that job. Peter, John, Andrew, one other, uh, they gave up their fishing business. They abandoned their father physically. They went to follow Jesus. So Jesus is being very, he's talking to them very, you've left this. You have left your father. You've left your business. Some of you, some of them are married. We don't ever have Like Peter's married. We don't know who his wife is. So I don't know if he left her. I have no idea. I could probably find that out. But we, you know, he goes, there's something even greater than all of that. And my question before he finishes is God, is Jesus worth our lives? Is he worth abandoning what we value, what we treasure for the gospel? Is the gospel more important than the things that we value here on earth? Because sometimes we want to say yes, but by the way that we live, including myself, I, I value certain things, and I'm like, but is God asking me to really hold on to this? It goes on. And in the world to come, that person who's left everything, who has, who has given everything over to me, they will have eternal life. But, and he's talking about a conversation they had earlier. We talked about this last week. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now, they'll be the greatest then. He's tying up this conversation about greatness, about what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to truly serve God. And it's at this moment where I want to say something right here, because there were people right now, as I'm thinking about it, there are people right now that might be thinking, this is too hard. Does Jesus really know? what? What's he really saying? What is he saying? He's saying, whatever is holding you back from fullness of God, we need to let go of those things. And I can't speak to you what that is for you. Only you know what you're holding on to. I'll give you some examples before we close, but um, what, I, what it could be, but... For some, we could be like the, how are you going to respond? We could be like the rich ruler here. How does he go away? Sad. You ever seen, you know, a sad, it's like a dog looking sad. The cheeks kind of just kind of droop. You know, he's all sad. The puppy dog eyes, he just, oh, I really believe, how did they know he went away sad? I, I believe he was like we like weeping, like really? I want to follow you, Lord, good teacher. But I don't want, I I don't want to give up my stuff. See, for him, it was money, wealth, and possessions. And he says, those who cling to those things, those who focus on those things, those who lose sleep over those things, that means that they're not focusing on God. That means they're not trusting in God. And thus he says, it is difficult for someone who is clinging on to their riches. He uses the example of riches here because the guy was rich. And many, and that doesn't mean that rich people, they, they can't go to heaven. What it means is that it's very difficult for a rich person. If you have, if you're a multi-millionaire, let's just say, and you don't really need God, you can just pay for everything. This guy could. He could pay for everything. And it's sobering to think about that because you may not feel rich. Sometimes I don't, right? How many of us have more month at the end of the month, at your paycheck than Paycheck itself, like the month runs out and our money runs out before the month, right? I know the feeling. Okay, but if we compare, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do. If we if we were just talking about this yesterday, if we were to grow up in a country that you you're in a little shack and your backyard is a sewer. Like in Thailand or in, uh, the, the Philippines, something, and you move to the United States. And if we were to, we have a very small house. If I were to move, all of a sudden I see my house, I go, wow, it's a mansion. Because we grew up in a culture that has more resources. Our country has more resources than ever. We have more resources. Sometimes it's not money. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's, it, it's, it's a conversation. So whatever it is, we have so much that it's very difficult. It's sobering to think of this. So my question to you, what are you holding on to? Because what is Jesus saying? He's saying to you, don't hold back from me. And it might not be possessions for you. It might not be money. You might at this moment not have two pennies to rub in your fingers. He's saying, don't hold back from me. Don't hold back to receive everything I have for you. Why? Because it's the great exchange. You exchange, you exchange your life. What do you receive? The fullness of God. So my question is, is the fullness of God receiving the Holy Spirit worth giving away the things that we hold on to? And I'm not just talking about possessions. It might be, but it might be something more than that. See, the picture in Mark 10 is a guy who has it all. He has the cars, he has the houses, he has the toys, he has the women, he has the boats, he has the fullness of life. But he's missing something. While he has the fullness of life, he doesn't have the fullness of God. You see the difference? He has the fullness of life, which whatever this life has to offer, he is full of it. And Jesus is saying, empty yourself of the fullness of life, and I'm going to fill you with something more. I'm going to fill you with my presence, with my anointing. In fact, Jesus, he says this, we read it, but Mark 10, 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. Everybody say lack. Now, that's saying a lot to a guy who has it all, isn't it? In other words, you think you got to have this, but you're actually lacking the very thing that really matters. What is it really matters? We open up the the sermon with this, that you know the love of God, which goes beyond your understanding and knowledge and actually be full of the what? Fullness of God. Hopefully you didn't forget it yet. You haven't even got to the car yet, right? That's when we usually forget things. (laughs) I go, what did I preach? No, what is Jesus asking? He's asking us to give away, Not maybe it's not possessions for you, whatever it is that's holding you back from the fullness of God. You're just an inch away from the fullness of God. Now, my question, you, you, need to, you need to have a discussion with somebody, your spouse or your friends or somebody, or maybe just yourself and God. What are you holding on to that's keeping you from the fullness of God in your life? And you might look at this and you go, I don't, my money does not control me because I don't have any. I don't have this, I don't have that. So it could be anything. We'll talk about it at the end because this is the question of all questions. Because if God truly wants the fullness of life, uh, a fullness of God in your life, if He wants us to get, what is, whatever that's holding us back, and He wants it, isn't it worth taking a moment to discuss that with somebody or yourself and God and say, Lord, reveal to me, what are those things in my life? Who are the people? What is maybe anger? maybe frustration, maybe it's bitterness that I'm holding on to, maybe it's my relationship with between me and someone, a kid, a child, a son, a daughter, a cousin, a mom and dad, somebody, an old boss, somebody, and we're holding on to that bitterness. And God's saying, uh, uh, that part right there, let it go. Let it go. Because what you're going to do is you're going to empty yourself for more room of God. And we're all guilty, including myself, of holding on to things. So you're not really experiencing the fullness of God yet. Because God has more for you. What is Jesus asking for you? Again, this is not, you're not going to shout hallelujah with this one. Jesus is asking, he's calling you to radical surrender to him. Nobody, and I mean nobody likes to surrender. It's kind of like the, the show Cops. Have you ever seen Cops? There's a cop that's running. There's a cameraman that's shaking the camera. And the guy's driving, and he's stupid. He's an idiot because he just, he keeps driving. And then he, or he stops the truck. He gets out, and he's running away from it. Don't you know? Just surrender. Half of your problem will be solved if you just surrender. You still go to jail, but, I mean, you don't add on to all that sentence. But some of us, if we would just and I'm talking to myself too, if I would just radically surrender to God, I would experience more of God than I ever have. I got saved in 1996, and um, I I experienced moments where I felt really I was going to win the entire school to the Lord. That was how on fire I was for God. And then over time, even in college, as I was a youth pastor, moving and I moved here in 2003, and there's been times where I felt I just don't feel like I have the fullness of God in my life. Not the fullness of his love but I'm not really experiencing him like I used to. What? Why, why has the fire of God that's been burning within me, why is it so dim? Why is the light of God so dim in my life? Is it possible that I could be holding on to something that I'm not surrendering to him? Like the person that's run away from the police, I don't want to make God seem like a cosmic police officer. Okay? But The best thing they could do is to stop, put their hands up. That's why in church a lot of times you see people doing this. Sign of surrender. The best thing that we could do is to surrender and give up to God. And what you're going to receive, and I promise you this, you're going to receive the best from God because he died for you. And he does it because he loves you. Now look look at this man and how he saw Jesus. How do you see Jesus? Verse 17, verse 20, he said, good teacher. And then verse 20 said, teacher. So how did he see Jesus? What's the word? Teacher. Okay? There's nothing ultimately wrong about that. He wasn't sinning by saying teacher because that's what he was. He was a teacher. He was, there's a lot of good stuff. You can build entire uh, countries based on his teaching. Okay? You can have, you can see his teaching and have a wonderful marriage if you could just live on the teaching of Jesus. But, he saw Jesus as a teacher to be respected, but not as a lord to obey. You see the difference. I see Jesus as a teacher, of course. I believe in the Bible. I believe in doctrine. I believe in studying the truth. I just had a conversation with someone that said that um, they don't really, they, you know. I don't want to force anybody to know the truth. Just, just have your own truth. That's what they said, and I'm like, yeah, it's not correct. There's truth. Jesus is truth, okay? And, uh, He teaches truth. But He's more than that. Because He, He, as He teaches, He says, whatever hold, is, you're holding on to, let it go. And I have the fullness of God. I'm gonna give you the fullness of God. So, what do you call Jesus? Do you call Him good teacher? blessing giver, or do you call him Lord? Lord. It's a word that we do not use in our country, Lord. You know, you go to England or you go to the different, country. Lord so-and-so, Lord so-and-so, Lord, someone that's in charge of me, someone that's worthy of my praise, someone that I bow down to, and I don't bow down to many people, it's not any, probably just the Lord. If I'm apologizing to my wife, then I bow down, but that's a different, different story. But who do you see? Who do you see God as? Is he a teacher to respect or is he a Lord to obey? Casual Christianity sees Jesus as a good teacher. Good doctrine. We can go to church. We can respect Jesus as a good teacher. We can go to the pastor and say, you know what? You just told truth. And I love that. I respect Jesus. I respect that truth. But, We can do all that while holding on to things that hold us back, where he's really trying to get a hold of us. Remember when Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also? So he's not really talking just about money. He's talking about things that just own you. What owns you? What controls you? Where do you lose sleep at at night? Why do you lose sleep at night? What caused, you to have, what caused you to go to the kitchen and go grab some Tums or some, some of the pink medicine that you drink out of the bottle? What caused you to lose all the sleep? What is it? And it could be what you, maybe some of us are holding on to money and possessions, and it's like, nope. Are you holding on to sexual immorality and impure thoughts? Are you holding on to anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and broken relationships? These are things that we hold on to we don't think about. We think about this kind of thing, and we go, oh, it's just about money. It's more than that. Holding on to anything that's keeping us with the fullness of God. Do you think we can have the fullness of God by have, at the same time having dark bitterness in our heart? I was a bitter person for a long time. And I could not quite have fullness of God until I let it go. Because there was this dark cloud. Someone recognized it in my life, a very good pastor friend of mine, who led me to the Lord. I didn't have to say it to him. It was all over my face. It was all over my countenance. He knew that I was dealing with something and it was bitterness and unforgiveness. And the moment I let that go, there was a freedom. It was a freedom. Maybe are you holding on to worry? Are you not trusting that God's really in charge? That would be a yes a lot of times in my life. Why is this important? Because God really loves you a lot. In fact, look at the verse again, verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is this deep love for this guy. Deep love. He wants what's best for you. And when you hold back from him, he can't give you what's best for you. What's best for you is the fullness of God. That's what's best for you. Is best for us having bitterness? How many of us, when we're bitter and angry, we feel great? Like we have a smaller face, we're going, man, I feel so good. I, I'm a little bitter, but, you know, uh, who cares? I have unfree, there's a guy that really made me mad. He really, really, really made me mad, and I am steaming right now, but I'm a happy individual. But come on, no, you don't. We don't. If we have, maybe if we are worrying about, I talked about maybe we're holding on to impure thoughts. How many of us, when we have impure thoughts, we go, man, I feel so great? Not me. I go. Let me open up my head for a minute and grab that impure thought and like flick it up there and bring it, send it to hell. Okay. The thing is, there's a reason why Jesus. He's saying, "Let it go." What is it that we're con- that's controlling us? Jesus is better than anything that you're tempted to hold on to. He's 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 more. Uh, You cannot experience anything better than God. You cannot cannot get something that's more valuable than God. God is more valuable than anything we own. God is more, he is better at experience, we're better at experiencing God than we are at experiencing anything else in the entire world. Those things will leave you bored, they'll leave you dry, you'll be empty. That is why, and it's, it's true, I'll just use the rich people as an example. Rich people... There's a lot of them have committed suicide. Because if you can if you can buy everything, wouldn't that be boring? Like seriously. Okay, I can buy a big house, I can buy a cool car, I can buy five cool cars, I can buy Dwayne's house, I can buy his I I can buy your motorcycle. I can do all of that stuff. Now I have it all. And then after a while you just sit there and you go, "I'm bored." Then what? See, the point is is not money. It's point is we hold on to stuff, and the Lord's saying, I've got way more than you. I got way more than you could the world has to offer. Receive me with everything. Look at the great investment when we give everything over to God. Mark, look at these verses again. Jesus, yes, I assure you that everyone who's given up house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or property for my sake. And for the good news, the gospel, they'll receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. How many of us are waiting for keys in the mail for a, for a car and a house? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, I have something greater. A hundred fold. A hundred times greater than all this stuff. Like, I have more than that. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. If I were to tell someone that is, does not know Christ, why you should give Jesus a shot, I get, I'll give him two reasons. Number one, I don't go to hell. That's why I did it, because I didn't want to go to hell. Call me crazy, because I don't want to go to hell. The second reason why was because instantly Jesus gave me a purpose. He gave me a reason to live. There was a reason. When I was younger, I really, before I was a Christian, I felt if I were to die, no one would care. And maybe it was true. My mom and dad would have cared. But nobody else, I was in a school of a lot of people. There were 2,000 people in my school. Like, who's going to notice that Joel's Joel's gone? And I thought for a second, Suicide. In the moment, the moment that I said yes to Jesus, those thoughts never came to my head because I had a purpose. I had a I a value. I had people. I had God who cared about me. I had people in the church who loved me and really did care about me. That was awesome. That was the life that I really, really, really want, and it's for you guys too. You have purpose. You have meaning. When you hold back from Jesus, you're getting a cheap imitation at best. Before we close, I want to give you. I want to be very serious now. There's cheap imitations of things, and there's the real deal. Mexican food. How many of you guys like Mexican food? I, how many of us can go to Mexico have Mexican food every day? We had when my when my uh, dad and my stepmom were here. We had tacos, and there was a lot of taco meat. All, they had, all the store had was like four pounds of meat, so we were eating tacos for days. Then we go out and I want to take my dad to a birthday dinner before they go home, and we said, "Let's not go to Mexican." That was the one time that we didn't go to Plankees. Okay, but I want to introduce you something that's going to change your life if the rest of this has it is street tacos from Plankees. Okay, it is life changing. You put all this stuff on there, this steak, and you put the beans and you put the lime on it. And then you put hot sauce on it. It's, it's wonderful. Versus driving down the river and going to Lewiston and going to Taco Bell. Now I have nothing against Taco Bell. How many of us have ever been to Taco Bell? How many of us have regretted it later? <laughs> How many of us? Okay, we'll go to Taco Bell if we're hurting for a taco. Yeah, I will. I'll be honest. When I was in college, I used to go 7-Eleven for a hot dog with cheese and chili on it. So I'm, nothing's below, below me. Okay? But, when I go to Taco Bell and I get just a regular taco, there is something missing. You notice how everybody's paying attention now? Right all of a sudden. No, no, but uh y- there's something missing about those tacos. It just seems cheap. It seems, inflation's kind of put it up, but it's still cheap tasting. Something's missing. But then you go to the street, and everybody's like, that's not real. You go to Mexico. I can't go to Mexico right now. Okay, I have to go to work tomorrow. But you go to... St- and get street tacos. Tell them Joel sent you because they know me. Um, They know me a lot. But the difference between the real genuine deal versus a cheap imitation night and day. Jesus is offering you something very genuine here. And it's not street tacos even though I believe those are going to be in heaven. He's offering you true abundant life not a cheap imitation. This guy had everything but he was still not experiencing the one thing that really mattered. He was missing out on everything. You can have the world, and you don't have the fullness of God. So my question is, how are you going to respond today as we close? The one verse I want to close with is the one that, as the man's face fell, at this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. That's how he responded, and to be honest, this among, there's two different verses that are the saddest verse in the Bible. This one in John 666 that many of his followers at that moment abandoned him, Jesus, because he said things that were too hard. So there's two examples where people thought, this is too hard. I'm leaving you. This is sad because the potential he had, the potential that he had, I like to think that he went home and thought about it. That's just me assuming. This man refused to follow Jesus wholeheartedly because the cheap imitation was way too important for him. How are you going to respond? Are you going to walk away from Jesus and his offer for abundant life, eternal life? Are you going to run to him? I want to give you an opportunity right now as you close your eyes. We're going to close in prayer, but I want to give you an opportunity right now between you and God. If you're here and you... You want this eternal life. You want this abundant life that Jesus is, is promising. I want you in your heart, between you and God, I want you to agree. I want you to say in your heart, just say in your heart, Lord, I, I, I receive today. I receive your life. I receive your, your abundance. I receive your spirit. I receive the fullness of God. And Lord, whatever it is that I'm holding on to, whatever it is that's causing me not to experience the fullness of God, I'm going to give it to you, God. I'm going to empty myself of the fullness of life that life thinks I need to have. I'm going to empty myself of that and I'm going to fill myself with you, God. And that brings abundant life. Not just eternity, but that brings joy. It brings peace. It brings contentment. It brings everything that I need on this earth to really thrive. You give it to me, God. God, I thank you for the church. I thank you for these individuals. Thank you for my friends. I pray for blessing on each one of them as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I I know it's a hard one, but Jesus wants what's best for you and for me. Amen.